right, Bob, we're back. Another episode. Two Guys in the Cloud, episode 20-something. Yeah, we're in the 20s. I've even forgotten to count, so that's even that tells you a ton, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. And uh, before I announce our very special guest today, I want to acknowledge the fact that Blair, we've allowed to be on camera. So, you know, from time to time, Blair may show up, our producer of the podcast, just so people know that Blair is real. And then they can actually, there he is, there you can see him. So for those of you that are watching on our YouTube channel, so that's a quick plug for our YouTube channel, you can see Blair, the mysterious Blair is here. And his COVID beard, which is fairly new. (laughs) The the beard tracker. But let's let's introduce our guest, Gabriella Schuster, um, Corporate Vice President at Microsoft, responsible for, I want to say one channel partner, but I'm sure there's a nuance behind that. But um, Gabriella, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Excellent. And um, I'm do the team's clap thing. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now we there we go. Yep. So for those of you not seeing it, we're promoting a new feature. On, well, I don't know how new it is, but promoting a feature on Teams where you can express your, your I don't know, emotion through very uh, animated emoticons. In this case, hands clapping. So Bob was very happy to acknowledge Gabriella's joining us here. Thank you. So um, Gabriella, so we have a lot to talk about. And I know, you know, I know one of the things that we've sort of prepped you on is that we have a tradition here where what we like to do is ask the folks who are um, our guests to help us understand their journey in the technologies. <clears throat> oh my God, that was water. Bob finished sentence. <laughs> I, oh I didn't even see the, the frog jump into his throat. But God, uh, that's terrible. <laughs> so, so basically what we do is we ask our guests, um, you know, to talk a little bit about their journey, how they got here, how you got into the IT industry, maybe how you've um, got into Microsoft. Obviously, you've been there 25 years, which is wonderful. And and maybe just talk about how you got where you are today. Sure. Um, it's been a long time. Um, so um, when I uh, when I my first official job out of college, I actually worked for Cigna Health Insurance, and um, and I was responsible for the teams of people who process your healthcare claims. And uh, so um, I realized um, after about four and a half, five years of doing that for, um, I actually was responsible for New York and national accounts, um, that uh, I didn't want to spend my life in insurance. So (laughs) surprisingly enough, right? Um, and uh, and at the time, uh, I was living in Connecticut. My husband was living in um, New Jersey. We were dating. And uh, we decided we wanted to move somewhere else and picked Seattle. So um, so we came without jobs. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and that was a long time ago. In, um, in Wait, the- so I gotta, I'm, I'm sorry, I do this. I have a habit of ADD and it, I can't help it, but I have this immediate image. First of all, really cool to have picked Seattle and I'm assuming, you know, like without a job, right? So cool enough. Is this Pearl Jam era or is this pre-Pearl Jam? And I'm just saying, is this like you in the grunge rock days or is... It was not? 1991. Yeah, so that's that's it. That's hardcore. <laughs> that's it. Sub pop, you know, awesome. So, like 
very cool place to live with a really high quality of life and more awesome. affordable than the East Coast. And um, my husband's a software developer and it seemed to have kind of a budding software thing. And so we moved here. And um, and so uh, I got a job at a company called Aldis. And Aldis was one of the first desktop publishing companies and uh, based here in Seattle and eventually got bought by Adobe. So I worked for Adobe um, okay. from Seattle. And after five years of working there, realized that if I was going to further my career with Adobe, I would have to move down to Mountain View, California. And I didn't want to do that. So um, I made the move to the big, bad company over the water. Because, you know, <laughs> at that time, I was a Mac person. <laughs> right, right. Of course you were, yeah. And uh, and I was like, oh, that's the evil empire. But I went because like I, I had I actually had a ton of friends that had worked at Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> and so I joined Microsoft in 1995. And uh, and so I had no background in tech. Um, my my link to technology and even thinking about it was my husband, who was a software developer. And um, and I started what I, at at um, at all this in Adobe. What I did is I ran tech support and operations, and um, and Microsoft hired me to um, outsource um, because it was the time of outsourcing, and we had to create fulfillment centers and take things that. We wanted to have global. It was the very beginning of us having regional operation centers in different parts of the world, and they did. Microsoft had no idea what to do with them, so um, I came in and helped um, Microsoft figure out what to do with them. And part of that was we had um, we had partners all around the world who were managed by marketing managers who managed them from Excel files, and um, and this is the kicker. These partners actually sent money to each of these marketing managers. That was their marketing budget. And, um, and that was how we ran the partner program, yeah. right? And so, like, <laughs> where did the money go? Nobody knows. Right? Yeah. It was very inconsistent. And we had big partners like Dell and HP who were like, we can't work with you like this. Yeah. And, um, and so I created the first Microsoft partner program by pulling all of this together and I did it from operations and um, and so the um, the person running marketing at the time said you know it's kind of weird to have a partner program run out of operations maybe we should do that out of marketing and I was like great I'll come over and do that out of marketing so I moved into marketing so that was really how I, I kind of started on my path I did um, I did that partner program, then I moved into training and certification. It was kind of at the beginning of certifications, created the Microsoft Certified uh, Solution Developer Program. Um, then, uh, then we started, we were launching um, SQL 7, and that was going to be our big foray into the enterprise. And because um, it really wasn't the seventh version of SQL, it was like the fourth or third version of SQL. <laughs> <laughs> marketing's marketing. Yeah, but right. Marketing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and we needed, we actually needed SQL DBAs. So I created a compete recruit program to take all the Oracle DBA, DBAs and help them become SQL DBAs. 
Um, and then we were launching Windows 2000 and um, we needed Active Directory specialists. So I did another Compete Recruit program to bring Novell Active Directory specialists to Microsoft. <laughs> I, I feel this is great because I feel like I'm going through, I remember all these chapters. Like the history. Is. I'm like, this is great. I'm like going through all the episodes in my mind. It's awesome. I, yeah. I, love, I love words like Novell. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Token ring. Right. And, and, you know, while, while I was creating those programs um, and doing that customer and, um, and IT pro marketing, um, you know, I had to create a mechanism for us to do that. And so I created what we now know as training vouchers, right? Okay. Um, we had to have those in order to get these classes set up. Um, and then I moved into enterprise services, which is MCS. And I helped our consultants to um, create a, a knowledge base of the engagements they had and turn them into repeatable deliveries, right? So that everything wasn't bespoke. And, um, and if somebody had created code as the result of working with a customer, we could actually turn that code back into something they could give to someone else. <laughs> yeah. um, and so through that, um, I worked on the Microsoft Solutions Framework, the Microsoft Operations Framework, and built something called the Microsoft Readiness Framework, which eventually just got folded into those. Um, and, um, and then um, in, I think it was about 2000, um, Kevin Johnson had started the U.S. subsidiary. So it was the very first time we had a U.S. subsidiary. So up until then, our jobs in marketing were to um, do uh, global design and strategy and U.S. Execu execution um, because we owned the U.S. market. So then he started the U.S. subsidiary and he asked me to come over and um, work on something called licensing 6.0. So um, he said, I don't know what this is, but it sounds like it's a big change and it's important and I would like you to come help me with it. So I moved over to this US subsidiary and, um, and I was like, oh, this is a big thing. <laughs> yeah, this thing, we don't know what it is. It's, at least we know it's big, right? Yeah, Whatever right. it is, yeah. yeah. I was like, this is, this is gonna change the way we work with customers in a big way. And uh, so it was the first time that we went from being kind of consumer packaged goods box product into enterprise licensing. Mm -hmm. And um, and we were only gonna give our customers like three months for this transition. And what well, that didn't work, right? And so we basically, I had to launch that puppy four times, right? We kept extending it and communicating. <laughs> It finally got people to understand what was annuity licensing, what was an enterprise agreement, how could they buy things by, you know, paid per desktop by their whole organization. It was a big thing. Um, learned a lot of lessons from that. Created software assurance to try and make uh, that a more important or palatable thing for people to be buying. Um, created the open value program so that we could even get small business customers to buy that. Um, and um, and started creating value proposition for um, for the enterprise versus by product. And um, so I did that. And um, after five years of doing that, um, decided I want to do something different. And I hadn't been in the product groups yet. So I moved over to the product groups and um, and I moved into the Windows client team at the time. 
that we were struggling to launch Vista. So I don't know if you remember yeah. that saga, but it like yeah. took forever <laughs> to get that product out. We had like four code names or something. And, um, and so we were gonna launch that product and we knew it was probably not gonna be the greatest product. Um, and um, so uh, I came over to try and um, figure out how could we sell this to the enterprise, right? And um, and all of the application um, compatibility challenges that we were going to have, and um, so we found Softricity, which enabled you to do application virtualization, so you could still actually run the application in XP, but be running Vista. And um, so I started to do M&A work for the company, and um, we did a series of acquisitions, put them together, I put them together and led through uh, the development of the Microsoft Desktop Optimization Pack that became a companion product to the Windows client and actually yeah. became the reason why people bought Vista mm -hmm. during the Vista time um, and changed the marketing from talking about the client itself to talking about the optimized desktop um, around manageability and security. And, um, and so the reason you would buy the client as an enterprise was really for the servers. <laughs> right. Right. right? So, um, so I did that. I stayed through um, the development of Windows 7, launched Windows 7. That was a much better experience. Mm -hmm. um, I was asked to lead the organization then, so I became the general manager of our commercial um, business at that time, and um, and then led up right through um, when we were ready to launch Windows 8. Um, Windows 8 felt a little like a repeat of Windows Vista, and I didn't really want to do that again. So um, <laughs> I um, moved over into back to the U.S. subsidiary to lead our cloud and enterprise business which was System Center, SQL, Windows Server, and this tiny little incubation product called Azure. Azure, I knew it, yeah, right, yeah, perfect. Which at the time was about, we had about $10 million in revenue. <laughs> that is great, that is great, that is fantastic. And, um, and so um, that became a big focus, who knew, right? So I yeah. uh, worked a lot with Satya, that was Bob Muglia, and then, um, and then Satya took over, and um, and and what I realized with Azure was that um, we needed to get scrappy again, right? Because the way to sell Azure was the old way that we used to sell products, not the enterprise way, right? It was you had to go in um, department by department and help them understand what applications could do with the cloud and what the cloud was and how that worked and. Um, and so, you know, kind of went backwards in time and um, and had to build out also an ecosystem, right? Because um, because there's no way our sellers cared about it, right? It was tiny. Uh, you got you only got paid when somebody used it, which like meant nothing to them, right? So um, so we had to build out an ecosystem of partners that cared. So um, I built out our U.S. Azure ecosystem. I got that product to hundreds of millions versus 10 million. And um, and then um, an old boss of mine had taken over the worldwide partner team. And he said, um, hey, we have no cloud ecosystem except what you've done in the US. Can you come do this globally? And so I moved into the worldwide partner group um, to 
kind of redo the Microsoft Partner Network and build a cloud ecosystem. And, um, and then things, we changed things a lot. So we went from the worldwide partner group, then we went into the one commercial partner team, and then they asked me to lead the one commercial partner team. And, um, and then we started, we, we brought seven different groups that were managing partners at a global level all together. So I was managing all of our global ISVs and our global SIs, as well as all of our global channel partners. And, um, and so, um, you know, and then we've gone through many, many iterations of um, how do we manage that ecosystem. And I'm very happy to say that we now have 90,000 partners who are actively um, selling and uh, thriving in the cloud. We have a cloud solution provider program that uh, will reach $10 billion this year. And, um, and we have a very effective ecosystem. So that is how I got to where I am today. It, okay, so first, thank you so much for going through that journey. I It was, you know, fantastic to hear all of that. And I know that a number of people will want to have heard that story and the detail you went in is fantastic. So thank you. Um, I, you know, as you were talking, it just was a big reminder to me because I learned that when we ask people to tell this story, it's always so interesting because it's there's never a straight shot into technology. There's always some really cool beginning, which in this case involved moving to Seattle and, you know, just doing it because you wanted to move, you know, which is really neat. And I, you know, I've also realized that the technology industry, one of the gifts of this business is that it moves so fast. It's always rapidly evolving and it's really conducive to somebody that's willing to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll try that. I'll do that. You know, I'll, I'll be innovative. I'll take a risk, you know, and it seems to me as I'm listening to your journey that that was sort of important, you know, that every time there was some risk to take, you raised your hand. You said, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. It seemed to build over time. Yeah. I, I just think it's cool. Yeah, no, it is super cool, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, Microsoft, I thought I would only stay for five years because that's all I stayed at Cigna. That's all I stayed at Adobe. I thought eh, it's probably about all I'll stay. Um, but every time there, it was like joining a new company because it was something completely different. And I, and I realized what I really love is starting new things up and or taking on things that are not working and refreshing them and starting them again. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So let's talk about, you know, where you are today in terms of what's sparking your interest, what's new, you know, you know, the, this new challenge. What is the next challenge for you these days? Where are you spending your time? Yeah, so um, so one of the things that um, I realized when I became the corporate vice president for our commercial partners is um, that I had an opportunity to really champion and advocate for things that mean a lot to me. Satya um, said something that really hit home when he first became the CEO. And he said, um, sometimes, most of the time, um, you are working on behalf of the company. Sometimes you have a cause that the company can work on be your behalf. And, um, and I realized that I was in a position where 300,000 organizations around the world were listening to what I had to say. And, and so it was an opportunity to really advocate for change around gender diversity within high tech. Um, it is pathetic where we are. Um, most of my 30 years, I have been the only woman in the room. 
And, um, and I don't want other women to feel that way. But where we are today, they feel that way, right? So when I started in 1991, 36% of the computing industry jobs were held by women. In, nine, in 2019, that number fell to 27%. So we're going in the wrong direction. Not only are we going in the wrong direction, but um, it's getting worse. It's getting made worse by the pandemic where more women are dropping out of the workforce and it's being made worse actually by digital transformation. Because, um, because digital transformation enables every company to become a tech company. So it means that there are more jobs in tech, but the jobs that are being displaced by the tech disproportionately impact negatively women and people of color. And, um, and so you have this trifecta of badness happening where you have um, fewer women joining tech you have by percentage, you have more jobs in tech, and you have more women being displaced by the technology. And so it means that we will never catch up unless we do something really, really significantly differently. And, um, and so in November, I went and delivered a TED talk on this. Um, and I created a very, very simple framework so that um, so that men can understand the actions they can take um, to change this. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but it's on the men to make the change because <laughs> it's just not going to happen unless the whole industry makes that change and becomes an ally and focuses on this in an intentional way. And so I created this very actionable framework and it's called become. So it's very easy to remember. B, the BE, is about being an ally, being a leader, and being an agent of change. And then the C-O-M-E of become is connect, outreach, mentor, empower. So connection is about going in an intentional way and reaching out to women and bringing them into your network, right? LinkedIn makes that so easy. You can join groups like the Women in Cloud or the Women in Technology Network, and you can actively bring women into your network, which gives them access to you and everyone in your network. Um, so that is one way. Access is powerful, and it's a way of really creating amplification because the reality is that we need 8 million women to be in high tech to get to gender equity. That's a lot. Right. So that's step one. The second step is more active and that's about outreach. So that is about um, looking at your um, hiring practices, your recruiting practices and your supplier selection practices and making sure that you have diversity in those practices so that you are screening in candidates for diversity versus screening them out. You're writing the right kind of job descriptions that you have a diverse a candidate pool before you start interviewing <clears throat> and that you have a diverse interview panel, right? And that you require anyone that you hire to have any, any supplier you hire to have diversity in the organization. Um, and so that's the second thing. It's about outreach. The third one is mentorship. Um, so once you are connected to these women, then mentor them, sponsor them, coach them, because you have different experiences than they have, 
And by learning from your experiences, by understanding some of those unwritten rules, by um, getting that feedback, by having the coaches, um, it brings them into the mainstream and makes them feel less ostracized, less alone, right? And so mentorship is critical. Um, and then the last one is empower. And, um, and really there's nothing more um, impactful you can do for another human being than empowering them. And it's a very simple thing to do to empower somebody. You listen to them, you value what they have to say, you amplify what they have to say, you lift them up and you echo and you bring them into the dialogue, you make sure they're included. And, um, and you, so you create this inclusive environment and you, by doing that, you empower them and, um, and you, um, you enable them to then have a very rich experience, which has a multiplier effect because then they tell their friends and then other people join. And I mean, you know this because Insight does this very well. Insight is actually a very inclusive organization. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, and I'm hogging the mic, Bob, so please jump in this, you know, like, don't let me hog the mic. But I, I, I have been fascinated by this topic. The, um, and, and I have to admit, you know, that I've been with Insight. We were part of the PCM to Insight acquisition. And so my time at Insight's now um, maybe two years and we're close, coming up on two years. And I've, I was immediately struck by how thoughtful the culture is when it comes to diversity and inclusion and harmony and you know that those are words that we use and they we use them not arbitrarily they're used consistently and it's from the top down our ceo ken lamnick is very deliberate about this message and it it honestly caused me to do enough research to begin to get it you know and and I, i'm going to be very human for a moment you know like i i grew up in a very small business atmosphere it was very you know like bottom line oriented you know and and it, it and I've never thought of myself as anything but just, um, I don't, I've never had a lens, I've never thought of myself as having a lens around that. You know, it's just, hey, this is business and we're almost a merit-based thought process on business, right? And when the DNI conversation came my way, the first thing I did when I looked at the research was understand something that I don't think gets communicated enough, which is that DNI has a positive impact on the business period, end of sentence. You know, like there is this social justification, which is very real, you know, and then there is just from a pure business perspective, the reality that the, and there are tremendous stats on this in terms of the percentage of diversity and its impact to the bottom line, the, the impact of diversity on just even product development, you know, in, in terms of having that voice in the mix. And I and think that that's an important and higher profitability, um, you know, being able to get you get greater satisfaction from your uh, customers, you get greater employee satisfaction. Yep. Yeah, it's real. And I think that it's, you know, and to me, that's important because, you know, like I would, you know, I want to do it regardless. Right. But the point is that as a business person, you can balance this whole merit based thought process by understanding that there is a business element to it as well. So, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you're speaking towards it. Yeah, I mean, and and I and it's and it's specifically for people like you, Elliot, where um, I talk to a lot of guys, and and um, and I'm like, why don't you do this more? And they're like, I don't know what to do, right? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna give you four steps, four things. They're very easy. <laughs> you can do them. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> That's fine, Elliot. Just do this. <laughs> That's fine. So, Gabrielle. 
you know, when I was at Microsoft, I actually remember the the news article when it came out that Microsoft wasn't very diverse. Um, and I I thought to myself, well, that can't be the case. And then I looked around the office and it was a bunch of people that looked like me, right? And I said, wow, there, there really may be an issue here that I, I wasn't seeing, right? And <clears throat> to hear your journey was interesting because people would always ask me for advice. How long, you know, how did you stay at Microsoft 16 years? Blah, blah, blah. What's the secret to success? And what I, what I would tell them is um, do your role world class and then move to something else, right? Don't always stay there too long because there's always something new and you want to kind of reinvent yourself in the company. And at Microsoft, that's very, very important. And seeing um, your journey um, kind of validates that for me because of where you've been and what you, you've been through. The other thing that you mentioned, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is when you mentioned that a lot of the times you were the only woman in the room. And, and that, that was really interesting, right? Because um, you're obviously a, a leader at one of um, the US's most successful companies ever. And to, to see that and to feel that today is even today is also interesting to me. And, you know, from b being a leader of, of my team, right, I try to take a lot of the, the leadership things that I learned at Microsoft and and run that for, for my team. Right. I like to have a very flat organization <clears throat> and I like to enable people um, through through what you were saying, encouragement, giving them the power to be a leader and kind of owning the business, right, if, if, if you will. And so what you were saying really resonated with me. And the other thing was that I, I didn't realize that diversity in technology was getting worse. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that and I thought you, you were going to say, well, it's getting better, baby steps. But I, I didn't realize the pandemic had such an impact on, on diversity in technology. Um, and actually that surprised me because I, I felt like um, it would have the opposite effect. So um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, and I think one of the things that really spurred me to action was that my daughter's 22. Um, I thought by the time that uh, she was ready to enter the workforce, things would be better for her, right? I I was working to be a role model for her, and I thought right. things would be better. And then, like, to realize that things are actually worse now than they were when I started, I just, I was like, I, I got to do something. Like, obviously, we've gone through a whole generation, and nothing's changed, right? Yeah, right, right. So the goal is 8 million, it sounds like. I think I heard that before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking like a Microsoft person, you know, what does that look like in milestones over the next five years? And what do we do to get there? You know, like what, what's the game plan? Yeah, well, so I'll break it down for you. So there are 16 today, there are 16 million people who work in technology, right? Okay. Um, and so that's and 4 million, roughly 4 million are women. So um, so we need to get to 8 million in order to get to equity. And that would mean we need an additional four million. Um, how do we do that? Well, I think that since there are eight million men or actually 12 million men in technology today, if every single one of them mentored a woman and tried to bring them in, then by the time 
you know, that happened, then, I mean, the whole industry will continue to grow, but maybe we start to make progress, right? So it means that, you know, we have to mobilize all 12 million men who are in technology today to all do something to take those steps to bring a woman, at just one woman, into the yeah. technology. Yeah, um, I, I, now I have a myriad of thoughts. One And, and one of them actually just came to us vis-a-vis -vis our producer, Blair, who just put something in the chat window, which is, you know, I think in terms of STEM, you know, in the focus of science, technology, and our education, bit, you know, world, my, my wife's a, a teacher, so I'm like hearing about this all the time. And it's, I guess it's my understanding that we're seeing an increase of women in the higher end of the university space proportionately to men. So I think that's, you know, in terms of channel, like development of channel and the notion of STEM and higher education, getting a greater percentage of women aligned to that trajectory, that could also be an opportunity, right? In terms of changing the balance, right? The outcome of this. And, and if we look at like the, if we look at, I'm wondering, this is curiosity. If we look at like the, the positions in technology and then let's break it into like developers, right? Is the development percentage the same as sales, right? And I wonder if there's a difference in percentage of women in the development end versus the sales and all in technology, right? But are we seeing growth in one sub area versus another? Yeah, so there's a lot in what you just said. Right? I know, I know, and I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna start with, I'm gonna start with um, high school because I have some experience here. So my daughter was actually in the STEM program in her high school. And every year she like, actually every quarter, she'd come to me and she'd say, I want to drop out. And I was like, why? Do you not like it? Do you like not like the classes? And she said, I actually like the classes, but I do not like the classrooms. She's like, I am like one of like three girls in my class. And, I, you know, I don't have any girlfriends. And the, the boys are just obnoxious. I don't want to be in classes like this. Right. And I was like, keep, keep at it. Keep at it. <laughs> right. Um, you love the class. Just focus on that. Um, here's other ways you can, you know, you know, still foster your girlfriends and have friends and whatever. But um, it's that's still a problem. Yeah, right? well, boys, are, <laughs> boys are obnoxious just to be like, well, I don't know if that's going to change. They're right. still, but there's still not even enough girls going into STEM in the high schools to change that dynamic. Um, and um, and so, so that's one thing. I, I think the other thing is that there isn't um, clarity and we, we as a, as a um, industry don't do a good enough job of championing the fact that there are thousands of jobs that are not a developer, right? Not a coder. Because um, particularly for younger women, um that doesn't fit what they what they think of as the way they want to spend their lives right because the coder and and i and i think this is this is probably true of men too right that the coder the view of a coder a developer is that they sit in a dark room and they just type on code all day then they don't talk to people <laughs> right and um that does not sound like a very social engagement. <laughs> right. 
right? That does not feel like a very collaborative environment. Now, the reality is, is that um, the way that technology is actually built and coded today is so different. And it is, it is a collaborative engagement. And it is more like the communities, like the open source communities and the GitHub communities and um, people working together and sharing code and everything, right? Um, but we have to make that clear because the curriculum in school still isn't like that. So the school curriculum hasn't caught up to the real life way that things are done. And so when you're sitting in school and you're thinking about your life and how you want to spend your life and how you want to spend your time, you don't understand the thousands of jobs you could have in technology. And you don't even understand what it really means to be a software developer today. Yeah. And, um, and so we need to change all of that in order to create the right pipeline. So pipeline is one thing, right? But the other thing is that we actually need to increase gender diversity in all levels of the organization. So we need more um, CEOs to put women onto their board of directors. We need um, organizations to hire women who are successful business leaders in to be business leaders of tech organizations, even if they don't have that tech background because they come in with a new point of view and a different set of experiences and can bring the organization to a different place. And you see that a lot in the shift of technology buyers. You want people who are coming from the industries that you're selling to, right? Yeah. And so that's an opportunity to bring women who have been successful leaders in other industries into tech companies and have them take the organization to a different place. And when you start, because you need women in leadership because then as you get um, women coming up out of college, looking at where they're going to work, they need to be able to see role models. They need to see that they could thrive in the organizations where they're gonna go work. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a very layered conversation. You know, there's no there's no clear like one answer, of course, right? So, that but that's that makes perfect sense. The um and the you know, Elliot, just just a quick thought on that before we leave it. Um, you know, there is a stigma with technology companies and not being just a regular company, right? And here's what I mean by that, right? Um, working at Microsoft and when you're at a party or we used to have parties, right? And saw people, um, <clears throat> you know, when you were out and about and you would say you work at Microsoft, I'm like, oh, can you fix my PC? And I'd be like, no, sorry, I'm not technical, right? There is a, you know, whether it's Oracle, Microsoft, you know, IBM, name it. These are businesses that have marketing departments, HR departments, finance departments, right? Um, being in a technology um, industry doesn't mean you have to be, um, you know, the the Doritos and Mountain Dew developer that you're just mentioning, right? It's it's about really understanding um, that these are companies, very successful companies, where you can have a role that doesn't mean you're developing the, the next database. Right. Um, so, it, you know, taking that stigma away and opening the doors, I think, is a big part of that. So absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I and I have to say that I think one of the keys to my success over the 30 years in technology um, in many, many ways, but most specifically around this topic was my husband. Right. 
because he was a software developer, I, you know, I would go into meetings with other software developers who really just wanted me to go away because I was the marketing person, not because I was a woman, but because I was the marketing person, right? And, um, and so they would say stuff like that would just try and dismiss me and say like, oh, that won't work or, oh, customers don't really need that or, oh, that can't be done. And I would come home to my husband and I'd be like, okay, so here's the situation. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what the technology can do, I thought. Um, but this is what they're telling me. And so what do I say? Are they right? Or is it, are they blowing smoke or what's up, right? And he would walk me through it and tell me how it could be done and what it was. And then I would go back and I'd be like, no, okay. So you're wrong. This is what you can do. This is how you can do it, right? And, <laughs> but, but for me, it, you know, my husband was the coach who could, you know, help me so that I could translate it back into right. words and a conversation that enabled me to get through. Yeah. That's great. I, so um, what I was thinking about was, you know, in terms of getting that pipeline to really understand the breadth of opportunity beyond just technology and what, you know, what is it that, you know, I'm, I'm going to use Microsoft, but it could be any of us, right? You know, what kind of campaigns can we insert into that that channel? And I, I think in terms of, gosh, there must be an opportunity from a digital social perspective to create a campaign to show, you know, that that pipeline, those younger, you know, female future candidates, this breadth and the fact that it isn't, you know, the, the even if you want to get into the technology thing, the Doritos and the Coke and the dark, you know, that there, there's this cool world out there. Uh, is Microsoft doing something like that? Or who's the leader, the leader in something like that, developing that pipeline? Um, well, so it's it's really all about storytelling, right? Yeah, there, perfect. Actually, this really great TED talk um, on I think it's called like the single story. And um, and it's this woman who talks about um, and it, it's not about tech at all, but um, it talks about how when you only ever hear a single story, um, then you have a very colored view of what that whether it's that race, that nation, that job, that industry is about. And so what you have to do is you have to hear a whole plethora of stories so that you can start to see yourself in that story. And um, and so we have to do better storytelling. And so Microsoft is trying to do better storytelling around um, the many women who are successful at Microsoft and what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, getting all of us to go out and tell our stories. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, um, you know, it, it just, it, and we need that to happen everywhere. Right. We just yeah. need that more um, and we need it to infiltrate because still in um, in so many of the pictures, I mean, it, you know, you look at all of the you know, you do any kind of search on on any high tech company and even the stock photos you see is a bunch of men. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you, what we know about even just sales, you know, you got to say it over and over, you know, the rule of seven, we've all heard it, you know, you got to say it over and over again before it sticks. And it's just, you know, it's a commitment to telling that story at a broad scale, but you're, you're doing it. You know, I mean, that's, you know, you're here doing it right now and you're telling your story. Just the beginning of this whole thing was a great story. So it's, it's all part of that journey that you're embarking on. And I think it's fantastic. So we're, 
I guess we're here wishing you well and excited for what you're doing here. Um, Bob, I think I think we're at time. Uh, I, I but I, I know that you've got tremendous words of wisdom as we wrap up. Yeah, no, I just actually have one more question, and it's really the most in question, most important question of this whole podcast. Um, do you pick the bands for the uh, partner conference? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that has always, uh, it seems to me to be a very, very tough decision every year. <laughs> I, I, get, I get to have input into the very band. Good, very good. But I don't get to pick them, right? Because there's okay. a lot that goes into that. Obviously. I bet. Um, but um, but yeah, generally it's like, well, here's a few that you could pick from. Right. Here's the one that didn't budget, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say I, I cannot wait for the next, you know, uh, well, with the, you know, for those who don't know, it's called Inspire and it's the world, what was formerly the Worldwide Partner Conference. And it is just this great moment when a bunch of, you know, at this point for me, it's just my friends, you know, where we've just known and worked with each other for decades and reconnect and we talk about the, you know, future vision of Microsoft and the ecosystem. And it's always been fantastic. And it, indeed, you know, one of the best parts is the band. So I, I can't, I cannot wait to get back, you know, to that reality. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So my advice, make sure that you are not just connecting with all the people you always have, but that they're connecting with women. That's right. Bringing them into the meeting. Yes, heard. Bringing them into every event that you do, every session that you join, every um, cocktail party that you have, so that it's a more inclusive environment. That sounds perfect. Perfect advice. Yes, perfect thank advice. you. So thanks again, Gabrielle. We really, really appreciate you joining us here today. Thank, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet.